seem strange to us. Even math has been changed. And um, we are really, really struggling and grasping for straws. It seems like even the basic things of life that we are used to have been changed. We're having a hard time coming up with answers. So, Lord, would you please help us to understand today your word with clarity? Would you help us to see what is truly here? Help us to forget what's not. And help us to look intently upon the perfect law. Finding not only your perfection, but our flaws. And where you would have us change our lives. That we might better model the life given to us by Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Jude 9-10 through 10 is where we're at this morning. So we have this clear. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. The battle of reason. This is how it begins. It's how the battle begins. First, as we talked about last week, the rejection of authority. And once authority is out the window, people can do pretty much whatever they want. Amen? And think for just a moment if anybody's ever read The Lord of the Flies. Even though they tried to restore some order, they tried to gain some order, once parental rule was out of the way, people could pretty much live however they wanted to. So this is where the battle begins. First, with the rejection of authority. And second, with the abandonment of reason. Recent days in the United States have shown both of these. Because we no longer want God's name in the public school. We no longer want God's name in the public sector because it's forcing religion down people's throats. So instead, we would much rather remove him thereby removing authority. The problem is, we've allowed this for so long that now Christians are becoming less and less effective because once the authority is gone, we have no ground to stand on. So we can sit and we can have conversations with people and we can try to get them to understand our point of view a little bit better, but once God is taken out of the picture, once there's no final authority to appeal to, we're in trouble. We're in deep, deep trouble. Have you ever wondered about apologetics? This is where the real battle begins. So for decades, the church has been taught a particular way to do apologetics. I was taught this way. If you've sat under any instruction in any church, you probably were taught the same way. We prepare our written testimony. We learn some key thrusting verses. And then we wait for an opportunity to share. This teaching abounds from 1 Peter 3. And typically that's the way it goes. Prepare your written testimony. Memorize it. Be ready to share it in a moment. Arm yourself with a few strong apologetic verses. Be ready to use them. 
Something like that's the basic approach. Know what you believe, know what it has done, and use it when you have an opportunity to. And it sounds very reasonable and practical. It really does. And I can just tell people how I came to Christ. But I ask you, answer this in your heart, not out loud now. How many people have you seen whose hearts and minds were changed by the sharing of your testimony? Sat down and said, this is how I came to Christ. And all of a sudden, they were so cut to the heart that they, they changed their mind and they gave their heart to Christ. Could it be ten? Could it be five? Is there even one? 1990 interview with PBS, Billy Graham himself stated his belief. This is Billy Graham said this. All right, so this is not something someone said that he said. This was from his mouth. That only about 25% of the people that come forward at his events actually become Christians. That's still a lot of people. That's still millions of people that are now Christians because of Billy Graham's ministry. So it's not to step on, on Billy Graham or his ministry. We're not saying re in recent years, studies have shown that only 6% of those that come forward at evangelistic crusades are any different in their beliefs or behavior one year later. So 25% of those that come forward actually become Christians. 6% of people change their lives. Not very good numbers. Christ himself said that the world will know who are his because of their fruit. What if there is no fruit? Well, what if you plant a garden and you have eight tomato plants and one of them produces no fruit? You weed it. You throw it away. There's no exercise left for that plant that can possibly bring about fruit. The truth is, this is not the direct biblical approach. It sounds biblical, but it's an out-of-context view, which typically is not effective because God's way is hard and apologetics isn't easy. That's why no one does apologetics. And we're so quick to accept a simple and ineffective method. Think of how many conversations that you've been in in the past two months that have frustrated you beyond belief because someone believes something entirely different than you do. Would sharing your testimony have changed that? We don't know. We don't know what God will do with it. But we also haven't even tried. It isn't because we don't want the method to be ineffective, or it isn't because we want it to be ineffective. We want it to be effective. But our approach in fighting for years now has been the dumbed-down and easy approach. So we get someone to admit they're a sinner, we get them to pray the prayer, get them to a good church. And this method also very often does not work. A church I was at, we had a candle in the front. And it's a beautiful symbol. It really was. Anytime our pastor would evangelize and he would get someone to accept Christ as their Savior, the candle would be lit. And so many stories I heard about running into these people afterwards was no different. It was a simple decision. It was a simple emotion of the moment that made them think, okay, I'd like to be a Christian. When we press for it, we can get it. I heard a recent testimony of uh, a girl who was accused of of injuring a toddler in a daycare. She spent seven years 
in prison because she admitted that she'd done this thing. The child ended up dying. Later on, they found that because she was pressed for so long in so tiny a room and they had no one else, she was falsely arrested. She was falsely put in prison. This is evidence of the fact that if we press someone for something long enough, we can get it. So this isn't meant to be discouraging to anyone. This, this is meant to be encouraging. I know, saying thank you. <laughs> Why doesn't this method work? Because it doesn't cut to the heart. It doesn't cut to the heart. If we look at methods of evangelism and methods of apologetics throughout the Bible, they cut to the heart. We're told when Peter preaches this great sermon in the book of Acts that they were cut to the heart and they didn't know what to do. They surrendered themselves. 3,000 people became believers that day. Peter didn't stand up and say, well, you see, I was fishing along the sea one day. Christ came up and changed my life and he wants to change yours too. Now what did he say? You killed him. You killed him. I don't know. If I'm in an evangelistic crusade and someone stands up, starts pointing the finger and says, you killed Christ, that's not really going to push me toward believing, not practically, not with reason. We usher people into an admission of guilt, and of course, there really is a desire to be better, but it doesn't affect the heart. It affects the emotions, it affects the moment, and it ends there. How many people in here with me, you've been affected by a moment, a sentimental moment, and it's changed your mind about something and made you do something you wish you didn't do? Yeah. I really wish that I wouldn't have said that to them because it really wasn't as helpful as I thought it was. I really wish that I wouldn't have given that to them because it turns out they used it to hurt themselves because I didn't investigate far enough. Some of us can be affected by the moment. And what do we do? Well, I have another sobering truth which seems depressing. I promise the encouragement is on the way. Of all the people that, are, that begin attending church and becoming active, only 6% of those people, 6% didn't come from another church. And that's sobering. The typical church in the United States today is 40 people. Typically. There are churches out there that are much larger. We have the mega churches getting thousands and thousands. And if you look at the attendance on those, most people do not attend every Sunday. Why is that? It's been interviewed that it's because of the hype. They do have a lot of new people coming in and out. Not really a lot of people staying. Next step down, you have the people that are in the couple hundred church. Usually people stay there as long as they can hide in a seat and not get involved. As soon as they have to get involved, then you realize how bitter Christians can be. And they're actually not exactly what you thought they were. And then you don't really want to be involved with them, so it's easier to move. The churches with the longest attendance are the churches that have less than 60 people. Because you're open before them all. Because you can't hide from us, Right? We're little, and we know each other. We know each other's faults. We know each other's strengths. Not as well as we should. 6% of those attending are in response to a newfound faith in Christ. And that should be sobering to all of us. Why? 
Because if you and I did true apologetics to one person, one person, one person in our lifetime, at least for us today, there would be 22 more people, 22 more souls, one of the kingdom. For one person. I'm not talking about doing one person a day, one person a week, one person a month, one person in your lifetime you have this conversation with. And the conversation is not, you're a sinner. Repent. Because the truth is we're recirculating Christians, not adding new souls. It means 94% of believers in church this morning have been active in other congregations. I myself am part of that in a different church. 33% of the, se 75% of America, 75% of America believes that they're Christians. 75%. 33% of those 75% attend services weekly to worship the triune God. That means half of professed believers are actively engaged in spiritual life, and that includes corporate worship. So what do we do? That's the question. This is where we need true apologetics and true evangelism, as modeled in the scriptures. Because biblical apologetics brings people to Christ and then keeps them there. They come face to face with the truth that they must decide based on what is true. Because biblical apologetics gives truth that itself challenges the presuppositions of the unbeliever. I know I'm using a lot of big words, that's why I'm reading it. Biblical apologetics gives the opponent no way out of their thoughts. Biblical evangelism presents the gospel clearly and... It is not the presenter that drives the opponent to decide. They cannot help to decide because they're cut to the heart. They're undone. So we're not talking about a merely emotional response. We're talking about seizing the whole person because the power of the message itself has grabbed them. Why? Because Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1857. A day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace. This is Charles Spurgeon's testimony. I went to decide where the platform should be fixed, and in order to test the acoustics, excuse me, acoustic properties of the building, I cried in a loud voice, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing of what was being done heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin. He put down his tools, went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life and beholding the Lamb of God. It was on his deathbed that the man told the story of his conversion, the result of God speaking to him through a simple verse of Scripture uttered by Spurgeon. When Spurgeon preached in that building a day or two later, it was crowded with 23,654 people. But such is the power of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin, not of the whole world, but only of the potential 23,654 people, but of one lone man working in a building when a preacher came to test the acoustics. This man will be forever grateful that when Spurgeon stood up to do a sound check, he did not simply count to 10, test 1, test 2, check 1, check 2. This man was confronted by his own sin by the word of God. His view of the world that day was shaken. I heard a story 
by Ravi Zacharias, which continually sticks in my mind and I can't get it out. A man said, there's no such thing as truth. He was on a college, and Ravi's talking about truth, 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 truth. And the man says, there is no such thing as truth. And Ravi says, you don't believe that. He says, yes, I do. He says, you don't believe that. Yes, I do. You don't believe that. Yes, I do. And on and on it went. He said, sir, I know you do not believe that. He said, yes, I do. He said, then is what you said just true? If there's no truth, then what I said wasn't true. And he sat down. Wow. A man who lives with a worldview that there's no such thing as truth can't stand on his own worldview. And what happened months later, possibly even years later, I don't remember exactly how the story went, but I remember how it ended. Ravi saw him at several other events sitting in the back, and he did not stand up to question. He couldn't. He saw him afterwards, after one of these events, and he said, I'd become a Christian because I couldn't stand on my worldview. Became a Christian because when confronted with the truth, he had nowhere else to go. The challenge on Mount Carmel gives the same idea for evangelism and apologetics, really. Worldviews must be challenged. Elijah said, I myself am all that's left. It's just me. And there he stands with the 400 prophets of Baal and the 350 prophetesses of Asherah. And they prepare their bull and he prepares his bull. They have to realize Israel is all there. They have to realize that this thing they cannot stand on. Worldview is challenged. They light the bull. Excuse me, they call for fire to come down from heaven and light the bull, but it doesn't happen. Elijah comes, digs his hole, has water poured in, water poured in, water poured in, prays, fire comes down from heaven, consumes not only the animal, but licks up the water. And all of a sudden, all of Israel shouts together, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Strangely enough, do you know what Elijah's name means? The Lord is God. See, when our convictions and when our understanding of the way the world works is actually challenged by the truth, we have nowhere else we can go. I have been seeing this work for the past year in people that I speak with. It's not like I'm sitting there saying, I'm going to undermine all you believe today. They ask me a question, and I respond with a biblical answer. And I don't say, well, if you pull out your Bible and turn to 2 Peter. No, we're calling them into truth. You believe and stand on this, and this is not going to hold water. This is what happens with true evangelism, true apologetics. And the lines have been drawn down the aisle of the church, running right down the center of the pews. And the question is, where will you stand when heresy arises? And when someone tries to teach us something else, when someone tries to bring something else and say, God allows you to live however you want to live now that you have your ticket to heaven, it had better be for every single one of us in the defensive position, ready to fight back. I'm not saying we're ready to lash out. That's not loving. We're called first to love our neighbor. Loving your neighbor is willing to take a stand. So, a reminder, as we've been saying the entire time, and you'd say it again, Christianity is not passive. Your Christian life is not something this morning and then something different tomorrow. Your and my Christian, Christianity is not passive. It can't be. If it is, nothing is being done with it, and we need to question whether or not it's true. That is a biblical statement. Question yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Examine yourself. 
The book of Jude is about war. It's about how to fight. This is what we're learning about. We're learning how to fight. Because we have to do it. Your evangelism and your apologetics will follow your Christianity. It will. Three things we're going to look at from this passage this morning. Three things. Submission to the authority, appeal to the authority, and to abandon authority is to abandon reason. This is the fight that we're fighting this morning. Submission to the authority. What I want to see clearly here in the book of Jude where this came from. So we're going to look real quick at some truths from this. First up, I want everyone to notice Satan did not submit to the authority. Now, I have read a ton on this body of Moses thing and I have nothing for you. Nothing. I'm sorry. It will remain a, a mystery, a secret until we get to heaven and when we can ask himself, possibly sit around and uh, talk to Michael. Like, Michael, what were you disputing with Satan about? What were you talking with him about? All we do know about this is that there was a dispute, that it was happening between two angels, because Satan is a, say it, angel. Michael is a, say it, angel. So Satan did not submit to the authority, who is God. We know this already. Michael did submit to the authority. How do we know that? We know that because of what the verse says. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. So notice, Michael did not submit to the enemy. He was contending. That's an important word for us to have highlighted, underlined, to remember in our Bible. God wants you to fight. He wants me to fight. He wants us to contend. So Michael did not submit to the enemy. He was contending. Notice also, Michael didn't just lay back. Michael disputed. He disputed over the truth. I want everyone to notice clearly what he does here. What Michael could have said is, well... Satan, you're a fallen angel. I'm actually of more value than you now. But that's not true. God created the order of things. God created the order of things. So he does not abandon authority. He submits to authority. And instead of calling out against this enemy, he passes that to a higher authority, which is point number two. Appeal to authority. This is how it's done. Michael appealed to the authority. How did he do that? 1 verse 9, it goes on to say, He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. He quotes from Zechariah. That's strange, isn't it? When you're battling Satan, he pulls out a passage of Scripture. Wow, that is amazing. Michael's appeal demonstrated his reliance on the authority of the written revelation. Notice first, Michael appealed to the authority. He didn't say, Satan, you're rebuked. He said, the Lord rebuke you. It's not our position to call down condemnation on people. That's not what we're called to do. We need to follow Michael here. Michael appealed to authority. This is God's job. God is going to see to it. The Lord rebuke you. Michael's appeal demonstrated his reliance 
on the authority of written revelation, something that we all ought to rely on. When I say something and it comes from the Bible and you're offended by it, you can hold that against me all you want, but it's not my fault. I blame that on God. It's His Word. When you're offended by something I say, definitely say something to me about it. We need to have reliance on the authority of written revelation. That means when God says we don't do something, no matter how powerful the person is in front of us, we don't do it. No matter how powerful the system of society is that says, well, this is different times. No. No. Show me chapter and verse where it says this is different times today. These are different times today, and we can live life differently than we're called to in the Bible. You won't find it. Notice also, Michael did not devalue his opponent, but confronted him with truth. Keep this in mind when we're speaking to people. It's not a, I know more than you, be quiet. We just present the truth. We present the truth. And here is an explicit truth that we're seeing unfold before our very eyes today. To abandon authority is to abandon reason. Let me read the verse to everyone. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. A couple points just out of this. Heretics, false teachers, and deceivers blaspheme what they do not understand, namely authority. They're saying this. The new atheists are saying this. People that you and I work with every day are saying this. I don't need some book to tell me what's right or wrong. That's archaic. If we followed every one of the precepts given in your Bible, we would stone our children for misbehaving. If we followed the precepts in your Bible, people who sin sexually would be murdered. They say these things, pulling them out of context, some of them, because they're trying to deceive us. Because they don't want an authority in their lives. That man that wrote that article saying that we are descending into a theocracy again in America. The guy doesn't want Christ to be his king. He wants to be the be-all and end-all in the end of the day. I do what's right for me, you do what's right for you, and never the two shall twine. And you know that's not true. Because a few years ago, a few years ago, when we heard that in Washington State, adult men were able to go into the bathroom with little girls, we never thought that was coming here. And it is. It's here. That Tuesday morning, September, that 11th, no one ever suspected that someone would use an airplane to do what they did. And it came. See, we always think it's going to be somewhere else. We always think, well, this is a small town America. It's not going to happen here. It's happening here. Because God's authority has been rejected. And it's continuing to be rejected every single day. And I want to encourage everyone, first and foremost, to say, although his authority is being rejected, it does not mean that he's lost his authority. God wants to strike someone dead with a lightning bolt today, neither you or I can do anything to stop it. Still in control. 
He's still the boss. He's still the supreme ruler of the entire universe. If he does not call the sun to rise tomorrow, we are in darkness. By 7 o'clock, we will be frozen. God is in control. God keeps the stars where they are. If he ceases to, they collide with us. We have trouble matching socks out of the dryer, and sometimes we think that we can make those big decisions. They blaspheme all they don't understand, namely authority. Heretics, false teachers, and deceivers' actions destroy their moral frame. Why is that? Because as we continue to reject authority, we say, I don't need God to be God in my life there. Something else has to take its place. Something else has to take his place. So what takes his place? Mostly culture does. Why do I say that? Well, if you do anything Christian and out of the ordinary, what do people say? That's weird. That's strange. That's bizarre. Why don't you just act like everyone else? For you not to buy a brand new vehicle and for you to buy an old vehicle, people look at you as though you are bizarre because culture sets the standards. For you to walk away from a lewd conversation, people think now you're a weirdo. Good. For you to walk out of a movie when something obscene comes on the television, comes on the screen in front of us, people think, boy, they're strange. Good. But you see how that works. Now that you're strange, maybe next time you don't want to be so strange. Maybe next time we want to fit in just a little bit. But they've destroyed their moral frame. They've abandoned all authority, so now they're not even seared by these things anymore. And if you watch television, I mean, everybody here watches television, and all of you know this to be true, 20 years ago, the stuff that's on TV today was in our movies. It's changing. His authority is being abandoned by culture at large, 75% of which, by the way, say they're Christians. So what happens when they destroy their moral frame? Well, eventually, they abandon reason and act on instinct alone. So what this really, literally, truly means is they go after what they want because they want it. Because they want it. Why? Because they want it. Why? Because they want it. They're going to have what they want because that's what's going to satisfy them, please them, make them happy. They want what they want because they want it. Well, who gives you permission to have such a thing? Me. Wow. So we live in a society today where you and I fully believe that people shouldn't take our stuff. Like, if you walk into a restaurant and you go to pay your bill and someone else slaps their bill up in front and says, did you pay mine too? You and I are going to say, no. Or maybe you're kinder than I and you're going to say, oh, certainly, I'd love to do that for you. Jesus loves you. Because then the next person behind says, would you also pay mine? And, and would you pay mine? And, and would you pay mine too? Our society is being structured today, right now, where you and I have no choice but to pick up the tab because people are passing it to us because our leaders have decided that that's the best way for us to live. So now people want more and more and more and more and more and more, and when does it end? It ends when the 40% of Christians that stayed home and did not vote in the past three elections come out and vote, 
and they vote for Christ's name, for his authority, and for someone that follows his precepts and things change. Not people that tuck their head between their legs because Christ is coming back tomorrow, so the world is going to hell in a handbasket. We act because God has called us to seek righteousness. He's called us to seek justice. And we haven't been doing it. And what does it look like when a person abandons authority? Anything goes. At that point, you can justify killing, which we do. You can justify theft, which we do. You can justify lying, which we do. You can justify adultery, which we do. You can justify honoring, dishonoring parents, which we do. You can justify coveting, which we do. And you can justify teaching others to do the same because our society has been doing it forever. When you live without authority, anything goes. But we've got to be careful with that because people that live according to their own standards can't live according to their own standards for too long, can they? Because that man that stood up and said, there's no such thing as truth, there's no such thing as truth. Do you believe what you just said? He can't live by his own standard. People think I'm some super religious guy, so they ask me all these questions like, oh, maybe he has something from the Bible for us, which I'm going to reject anyway. They ask a question, and I give an honest answer. Well, it certainly would be better if we did this according to this. Or, well, the standard calls for us to act in this way or live in this way. <laughs> Do you know all that I would have to give up to live that way? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. When you live without authority, anything goes. But we've got to be careful because people do not like living by their own standards. It's too tough. You say, well, didn't you say there's no such thing as truth? Well, there's a truth, but it's truth as I understand it, which you got from where? The rules have to be pliable enough to shift when needed. And the war must be fought with reason. Proving instinct will not support their worldview. And one cannot reason without authority. So, someone says, well, you know, I really think that it would be great if every single person had jellyfish pants. That's weird. Well, have you tried it? It's the new latest thing. It, it's some fantastic. We're all doing it now. We're getting stings all over the place. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So, where did you come up with this thing? Well, everybody's doing it. Cool, not me. By what standard? Says who? So when someone says, well, we're going to give everyone in the United States a free car tomorrow. A free car. Brand new. Because it's a right. Well, where's that right come from? Well, we think it should be a right. By what standard? Says who? Someone says, I, I think you ought to leave your entire family and, and, and go start a new family because you're not really happy there. Says who? By what standard? By what standard? People say, well, if you just understood this, I think that what's happening to babies is absolutely horrible, but I wouldn't infringe upon someone's rights to make that decision for themselves. So literally what they just said is, I really don't think it's horrible. Someone says, I think that euthanasia is horrible. It's wrong. It shows no respect for human dignity. But if someone wants to die, I wouldn't stop them from doing it. We can't complain when we're complicit. 
We can't complain when the church has stood quiet for so many years. If this 200 years ago, we would be beating down the doors. Beating down the doors to have these things changed. Because 200 years ago, we were riding on the coattails of the Reformation, and people believed that there was a God, and that he was in control, and they would have to answer to him someday. And we no longer believe that. That's been tossed out. So what do we do? What do we do? We know the standard. That means when someone comes up and they start having a conversation with you and they start popping off all this crazy stuff and you're really not sure where to go with it, you can honestly say, well, why? Why? Where does that come from? By what standard? Says who? We need to do exactly as Michael did, bring him back to the truth. He quoted Zechariah 3 and said, the Lord rebuke you. He tossed scripture back in there. This is where we need to go. Because it's as people's worldview is changed, that's when we see true change. That's when people are brought to Christ and kept there. Not because they've made some standard on emotion, made some decision on emotion, and they decided they need to do this differently. I've seen too many people do that. I have led people to Christ that are not Christians. Either I am entirely ineffective as an evangelist and as a preacher, or something else is missing. It's because I was taught the method. Well, have you ever lied? Yes. You need Christ. I highly suggest that you become a Christian today. And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's ineffective. There are very, very few people who have come to Christ and stayed to Christ that way. So what do we have to do? We have to get back to the biblical roots. The biblical roots are expressing the truth of the gospel in every area of life, not just in church. It means we seek justice, we promote justice in every opportunity we get. And Christ has promised us. He's promised us. And without this promise, I would not come here Sunday after Sunday. I would not even go to work any day. Without that promise, I wouldn't do it. He's going to be with us. He's going to be with you. He's going to be with me. He's going to be with us. And as we persevere and as we charge forward and as we go on fighting this good fight, Christ is going to bring forth the fruit that He wants He's going to bring forth his purpose in your life and my life. And all we have to do is submit to him. Imagine that. He's not asking you to go out and take a platform. He's not asking you to go hold up signs. He's not asking you to send out emails. He's asking you to be like the Good Samaritan. I want to ask everyone a question this morning in closing. Did the Good Samaritan go out looking for someone to help? All God's people said, no. Was the Good Samaritan out on some crusade looking to apply his finances in a particular place? All God's people said, no, that's not true. That's what we do. We're going out looking for places where we can apply our Christianity. Now, where did the Good Samaritan act? With the man who was in his path. A man who was on the road he was walking on. Who are you and I supposed to approach? The same people Peter did. Peter approached the people that were on the path he was walking on. Paul approached people on the path he was walking on. You and I are not to have this gigantic world mission where Jason is going to go out and change the world. That's not it at all. We're not supposed to have this world mission where we're just, I'm going to go out and do this thing all by myself. No. No. You walk your path and you fight there. Amen? That's where we walk. And it starts with your family because a lot of us have unsaved family. 
Those are the people that as they come to us and as they ask questions, we're going to be ready to give them an answer. Amen? We're going to be ready to answer for the hope that is within us, and we're going to prepare for this. We're going to read God's Word every single day, looking for verses that can possibly apply to, that can possibly help lead, guide, direct, and comfort. They can possibly shape this person's worldview. They can possibly challenge this person's worldview and bring them to such a place so as to abandon all else and accept Christ. This is where we go, everybody. We go on our path. We take on what's in front of us, and we march on. And we're a church, and we're a family, and we need help. And you can reach out and touch the shoulder of the person beside you and say, I have someone in my path. I need your help. Pray with me. Help me know what words to say. Help me know what issues the gospel needs to be applied to and help me know how to do it. This is where we're going, everybody. This is where we're going. We're going to follow Michael's example. We're going to use truth, appeal to authority, and we are not going to blaspheme. We are not going to talk down. We are going to look with all the dignity that God has set in place, and we are going to challenge in accordance with what God has called true. What God has declared to be true, what he's revealed is true.